Think about some of these words, light and darkness, hot and cold, black and white, soft, hard, rich, poor, prideful, or humble. There are definitely some comparisons and contrasts that go on when we use certain words to describe these things. Um, And what we see is a comparison and a contrast in our text today. I know that this may be a while back, but I was remembering uh, when I was a kid watching Sesame Street and there was a song that would come up and there'd be some picture on the screen and this person would start singing, uh, one of these things is not like the others. Does anyone know that? Or it says, one of these things just doesn't belong. Can you tell which thing is not like the others by the time I finish my song? And I thought about that as Jesus gives a great description, a great difference between the good shepherd and the hired shepherd. And this is what we look at this morning as he describes who he is. And the scriptural truth this morning is this. Jesus Christ is the good shepherd who has given his life for the sheep. Look with me at John chapter 10, and I will be reading verses 11 through 18. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. The words of our Lord and Savior, Jesus. Father, thank you that we have your words. And we ask now that your words would work upon our hearts that, Holy Spirit, you would stir our hearts with great attention to what you are teaching us, and that we would apply it and live by it, and that we would follow you, Jesus, because we know your voice, and you've called us to follow you. We ask for a blessing on the reading and the preaching of the word in Jesus' name, amen. Last week, we looked at the first 10 verses and one of the I am statements there that Jesus in this discussion, which he says, I am the door. And we spent some time looking at the sheepfold and Jesus being the door. And uh, he continues with this metaphor, this picture of a shepherd and sheep. And we see this in verses 11 through 18, right after Jesus has said, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. He says, I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. And as we saw last week, that it's only through Jesus, the door, that any sheep can have abundant life and can have eternal life, and that's through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Let's look at some of these verses here this morning. And the first point being, the good shepherd lays down his life. 
Again, what we see here when Jesus talks about the good shepherd, he also speaks of the hireling or the hired shepherd. And so there is a black and white picture here. There is a distinct uh, description of both of them, which he lays out here. And he says, I am the good shepherd, a great comforting word when you know Christ. When you come and you know him as your Lord and Savior, um, when he says that he's the good shepherd, that means so much more when you are following him because you know his voice. But again, like the past three weeks, he uses a term. He says, I am. In the original language, it's ego emi. It means I am, I am the good shepherd. Or literally, it is the good shepherd I am. He uses the same uh, name that the Lord God uses to tell Moses when God is speaking to Moses from the bush that uh, there were flames in it. He says, tell the people, my name is I am. And so again, as we saw the last few weeks, this is why they want to kill Jesus. The Pharisees, the religious leaders want to pick up stones and kill Jesus because he continues to state that he is God and so he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. As we looked some last week of the relationship between the shepherd and the sheep, uh, the good shepherd not only knows who uh, his sheep are, but there is a great love that the shepherd has for each and every one of those sheep within his flock and we see this in Jesus. And if you, uh, we, we, it was just read a moment ago in 1 John that um, sets that stage for the rest of the gospel of John. We know that the shepherd who is Jesus is a good shepherd and loves the sheep because he is the one who has given up his life. And we might want to jump right ahead to the cross, but you need to think about this first. Jesus Christ, who is God, came down, was born in a manger. He added humanity to his divinity. Therefore, he is the God-man, fully God and fully man. He never sinned, was perfect, is perfect. And he, that is how this love began, that Jesus, as he goes on and says, the Father loves me. The Father loves him, the Son, because he's obedient to the will of the Father, if you think about the night that Jesus was arrested, he was in the garden before they arrested him. It's that moment when the uh, drops of blood are, are coming from the pores in his forehead that he's sweating, and he knows that he's not only going to die, but he knows that there at the cross, as the Apostle Paul says, he will be, he's made sin who knew no sin, that we may become the righteousness of Christ and he knew that he would take upon that sin and that God the Father would pour out his wrath upon the Son. And that's why he said, Father, if there's any other way, but not my will, but yours. And therefore, Jesus, obedient to the Father, gave up his life first by coming down and being born and living a, a human life and, and also being fully God the good shepherd laid down his life to think that he had no place to lay his head, that he lived and walked in this world in poverty, that he went through tremendous trouble in his life because of his great love for the sheep. And Jesus willingly did that. 
1 John chapter 4, verse 9, the Apostle John who wrote this gospel account also in a letter to the early church in 1 John chapter 4, verse 9, he says, In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. Remember last week, he said he came to give life abundant. It says, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. You see, God loved the sheep so much that he sent his son to die so the sheep could be saved. And Jesus in verse 14 here in chapter 10 says, again, I am the good shepherd. And he says, I know my own and my own know me If you read farther on, we didn't read it here this morning, but in verse 27, he says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. It's not just hearing this verbal voice and going, oh, I know that voice. Last week, I listed a, a number of voices of people in this world that you'll hear on movies or different types of things. And uh, yesterday, someone at the men's retreat said, hey, when you said all those names, I like, could hear those voices. It's one of those things that it says that he says, he says, my sheep hear my voice and they know them and they follow me. Um, there's a work that God has done that he's shown his love, that he saves his people, that his sheep know who he is. It's much like a baby knowing the voice of their mother. Or some of you have a dog that knows your voice so well that when you're on vacation and someone's watching your dog, you say, hey, put the phone up to the dog. And you say it and you talk to the dog and the dog just starts barking and howling or whatever because they're like missing you. He says, the sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. As we saw last week, he says, they won't follow a stranger. Again, I was uh, reading about a shepherd who's shepherded sheep for years. And I don't remember if I pointed this out last week or not, but he would have a couple of words and his voice to direct the sheep. And people would come and visit him and he would invite them, call the sheep to you. But the sheep would not come to their voice. He said, all right, now use these commands that I give you. And they would say the commands. They still would not come. And then he would just say the word, and the sheep would prick up their ears, and they would follow because they knew the voice of their shepherd. Do you know the voice of the good shepherd, Jesus? Do you hear your shepherd's voice as you open up the word of God and read Because that's one of the ways that the sheep know and hear the voice of the shepherd. It's by reading the words of the shepherd. That all the words that we have from Genesis to Revelation, the words of God Almighty are given so that the sheep would know him and they would follow. Everything, as Peter said, that is given to us for life and godliness in the Word of God found in Jesus Christ. And so everything that you need as a sheep to follow Jesus is contained in the words of God and it's worked out by the power of the Holy Spirit living in you to give you understanding and to empower you to walk in His ways. And so the sheep know His voice, the reading through the preaching of the Word. The sheep know His voice and respond by praying and speaking to the shepherd, 
by abiding in his words. Look here in John chapter 10 at verse 15. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Look at verse 17. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. Jesus says two things here in these verses. He speaks of the love that the Father has for him. And as he even makes those statements, uh, he is saying that he is God. And again, imagine being a Pharisee, a scribe, a religious leader in Israel, and you know the scriptures, and you hear a man standing before you saying that he is God. Again, they always were asking for signs, show us, tell us, convince us. And he's like, I've shown you all these things. You don't believe. But they would have been enraged, again, to pick up. I mean, imagine to the point that you're so angry that you pick up a stone and you want to throw it at someone's head to kill them. And some of you are like, I've been that angry before. But this is what they wanted to do because Jesus said he is God. But the second thing he says there in verse 17 It again points to his obedience to the will of the Father to die for the sheep. It says, again, for this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. He goes on in verse 18 to point to the fact that he is God. Jesus is in complete control of everything. Do you realize that? Do you realize that not only Jesus has spoken and said, let there be light, but everything that he has created is for him, is through him, that he holds all things together, that he is in complete control? Do you understand that? You look to the skies, you saw the sun come up this morning, you see the weather patterns, you see all these things in life. God is in complete control. Jesus says that he is God And so when you read verse 18, some people will think, wait, there's a contradiction here. Jesus says this, no one takes it from me, talking about laying down his life. He says, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Again, Jesus is in control. There is no contradiction here, because when you read other scriptures, it will say they murdered Jesus and they killed him. So you go, wait a minute, Scripture says they murdered him and they killed him, but yet he says he laid down his life for the sheep. How is that? Well, there's a number of things, and especially as we are four weeks away from what we call Holy Week and Resurrection Sunday, uh, when you look at those last hours, uh, those last days recorded in the Gospels, Jesus went to Jerusalem fully knowing what would happen there. He went there knowing that he would be crucified, that he would die. And he went, the night that he was arrested, they came with uh, soldiers, and he's like, why did you bring all these soldiers? And he went with them all according to his will. But when you see these terms where they murdered him and they killed him and he gave up his life, you need to go to the cross. Because the Gospels record the last moment as Jesus takes his last breath and he dies. John chapter 19 verse 30 John chapter 19, verse 30 says this, 
When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is what? Finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. Do you see that? He gave up his spirit. He had done the work to pay the price for the sins of his sheep by shedding his blood at the cross, the wrath of God the Father. And at the moment, at the right moment, he says, it is finished. And he gave up his spirit. Matthew chapter 27, verse 50. The same moment, Matthew says this. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. He, 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 with a loud voice, he says, it is finished. To imagine him hanging on the cross for those hours where you have to lift yourself up to be able to exhale and to breathe breath in and then hang back down on those nails that he would be able to lift himself up at one last moment and at a loud voice say, it is finished. And then he gave up his spirit. Luke's account of that moment in Luke 23, verse 46 it says, then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Jesus laid down his life. He was in complete control. Even though there were people who nailed him to a cross, there were Roman soldiers who nailed him to a cross. Roman soldiers who would torture him with strips of leather and sharp objects on the end of it and tear apart his back. Roman soldiers who would make a crown of thorns and place it on his head and put a robe on him and a staff in his hand and mock him and bow down and call him king and take the staff and smash it upon the head of Christ our Savior. Jesus willingly took all that because of his love for the sheep. And we know as you read the gospel accounts, Jesus could call out myriads of angels at any moment. But yet, because of his love for the sheep, he gave up his life. But if you see in verse 18, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. What does it mean, authority to take it up again, church? I hear mumblings out there. Come on, I just gave you a hint happening in four weeks. Not the resurrection, but the celebration of the resurrection. And we actually celebrate that every single day that Jesus Christ is alive now. He's ruling and reigning and is going to return. And so Jesus says, I lay down my life because I have the, all the authority to do so. And I will take up my life because I have all the authority to do so. And even though you have the account of this earthquake and an angel rolling across, rolling the stone away, Jesus came out of the grave because he's God. From death to life, conquering death so that his sheep who know his voice and follow him can also conquer death and have eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Look with me back here in John 10, verse 12 through 13. First we have the description of good shepherd. Now we have the description of the hired hand. And the second point is that hired hands do not care some of you know what I mean because you have worked at places. Some of you have been in 
people who have employed others. Some of you have worked along others. Some of you have been in school and the students in your class or others are just kind of, everyone kind of just are there and they don't want to do anything or the hired workers are just there just to get some pay and take care of things. And Jesus says this in verse 12, he who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. That verse 13 is key. You might want to look at that again. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Hired hands are temporary. They're there to get paid. They're not devoted or committed to the lives of the sheep. They could care less if a sheep dies, if a sheep wanders off. Hired shepherds, under shepherds, they come and go as, uh, as they want. There's no true love or care like the master, the good shepherd, the great shepherd who loves the sheep. And so the hireling doesn't care And these hirelings, as Jesus speaks of, um, do not and will not uh, take on the responsibilities needed to care for the sheep. And you think, well, that's really troubling. <clears throat> the reason it's troubling uh, is because the sheep get injured, the sheep get sick, the sheep get scattered. Some of you have pets that you love. And you love your pets tremendously. I don't know, cats, dogs, birds. Um, maybe you have sheep that you love. But imagine going on vacation this week and you hire someone who comes to care for your beloved animals because no one else is available. None of your other families. You cannot take your animal with you. You love your animal. You give your animal a hug before you leave. You come home and you find out the animal's missing. Your pet is gone. Or maybe your pet is horribly sick or injured and should have been taken into the vet for emergency procedure. Or what if you come home and your pet died? And all these things because the hireling did not care and did not love your pet. You may very well be quite enraged. I asked you last week to read Ezekiel chapter 34. And when you look at Ezekiel chapter 34, God told Ezekiel, prophesy against uh, the shepherds of Israel because they scattered the flock. They were feeding themselves. They weren't caring for uh, God's people and so he says, woe to them, and yet he would be their shepherd, and he would take care of and come against those shepherds. And you think, well, yeah, that's, that's through the Old Testament. We read that about the life of Israel, and that happened time and again. But then when you see Jesus' time, and he is walking in Israel, and he's in Jerusalem, and he's interacting in different places throughout those years that we have recorded with the religious leaders, it was a continued problem, the problem there then. Luke chapter 11 is the famous, woe to you Pharisees. And he calls them out. 
And he says, woe to you, shepherds of Israel. Woe to you. He calls them fools. He says, you neglect justice and, lo- and the love of God. He tells them, you've taken advantage of the people when you've been given a charge to lead and to shepherd and to love and to care for and to feed God's flock entrusted to them. Jesus called them a number of things. Whitewashed tombs, serpents. He called them out because they were hirelings. They were there for a name or a title. And if it happened, as we read in Scripture in the Old Testament, the New Testament, we have to ask, is it happening today? Are there hirelings in the church today And the answer is yes. There are hirelings with the title of shepherd and elder and pastor. And there are those who take advantage of the sheep today. 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5 is a text that you should know and you should frequently go to because it will direct you to pray for the elders and pastors of this church. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 4, it says this, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow, el- fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight and not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And listen to this. And when the chief shepherd, who's the chief shepherd? Jesus Christ. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. But not only that, elders and pastors in the church have to stand before the Lord God Almighty, the great shepherd, and give an account for the people, the sheep entrusted to them. The elders and myself will stand before Jesus one day, and he will ask, what did you do with my people? How did you care for my people? How did you shepherd my people? How did you feed them? How did you lead them? And I pray that every elder that has served in this place, including myself, will be able to stand before the Lord and that he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Not because of anything we ever had in our power to do, but because of the Holy Spirit through us guiding and directing and leading and shepherding the flock. We spent time last year going through the book of Titus. If you want to read... Uh, a description of an elder in the church, an elder, a pastor in the church. Read Titus chapter 1. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 3 where you'll see the same descriptors given. And 1 Peter lays down this charge that we will give an account. And because of that, I ask you to pray. I ask you to pray for every one of the elders myself. Would you pray for us to be found faithful to preach and teach the Word of God? 
Would you pray for our protection of our hearts, our minds, our souls? Would you pray for our families for protection? Would you pray that God would continue to give us wisdom and discernment and the leading of the Holy Spirit, that we would not stray down roads or go over hills leading you to areas that God says, I never asked you to go there, that we would be in tune to the voice of the shepherd and be faithful to him. And because of that, we are also charged as elders to stand when the wolves come. The hireling, when he sees the wolves coming after the sheep, runs. He packs up his tent and goes home. He doesn't care if the sheep get scattered, if they kill, get killed, if the lion or the bear shows up. He doesn't care. He just wants his money and wants to make sure he doesn't die. There are hirelings like that in this world today and the elders of this church are charged to expose them to warn you of them so that you don't follow after one of these wolves and be torn and scattered and therefore pray that we would be men who would stand for the name of Christ even if it means persecution even if it means our life that we would stand for the name of Jesus Look at verses 16 through 18. The third point we look at is one flock and one shepherd. One flock and one shepherd. Jesus says this in verse 16. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. You might wonder, what is Jesus talking about here? Who are these other sheep? Is this like individual churches? He's got a fold over here and a fold over here and a fold over here. Well, when you see Jesus in Scripture talking about his sheep, he's talking about, and here originally he's speaking of the, the, the people of Israel, the Jews who know his voice and follow him. And we also know that through the Gospels. He says that that flock is small who actually follow him. You think of when Jesus came into Jerusalem and he looked over the city, he wept over Jerusalem because he knew that they would reject him. He knew as he came as the Messiah that they would reject him and he wept over them. But here Jesus speaks of another flock and you say, well, who, who, are, who are those people? Well, we know from the rest of Scripture as we read that these are the Gentiles who would come to know the voice of the great shepherd and follow him because he calls them out. Those who are not a part of the nation of Israel is everyone else. And if you go all the way back to the covenant that God made with Abraham, when he spoke of making him a great name and a great nation and then pointing to the seed, Jesus Christ, in that he also said that they'd be a light to the nations, to the Gentiles. And when you read through the Old Testament, what did the nation of Israel do? Repeatedly, they were the darkness to the Gentiles. When they were to declare the truths of God to the Gentile nations. Turn to the book of Revelation. We'll read two passages from there. Revelation chapter 5. Again, I used to call the book Revelations. Revelation, there's one revelation of Jesus Christ when you read the book of Revelation. 
Revelation chapter 5, verse 9. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom of priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Turn to chapter 7 and hold that spot there. Many of us who are here in this place, who are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, would not be a part of the flock if Jesus had not included his sheep from every tribe, tongue, language, and people. Do you see the love of the good shepherd? Do you hear the love that's in the voice of the words of the good shepherd? He says there back in verse 16 that we were just reading, he says, I must bring them out. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice, so there will be one flock and one shepherd. There's no Jew and no Gentile. Again, the Jews hated the Gentiles. They called them dogs. They were dirty people to them. There is no separation in Christ. All of his flock are one flock, one people of God, and he is their shepherd Look now at Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 through 10. It says this, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Amen? I mean, look at verse 10. It's on your screen there. Let's, let's read this together, starting with salvation. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Do you, can you picture this? One day, all of God's flock, one flock, will declare these wonderful truths. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and we will worship him day and night for eternity. Church, it's a glorious, wonderful truth if you know his voice. It's a wonderful thing. It's a praiseworthy thing if you know the good shepherd's voice. Turn to one more passage. Matthew chapter 25. As you turn to Matthew chapter 25, I will just simply state that if you do not know the voice of the good shepherd, you are not following him. If you do not know the voice of the good shepherd, you have not entered through him the door to eternal salvation. And as we read in scriptures, the apostle Paul pleaded with those who are lost to believe, I would plead and beg you if you are here today and you do not know the voice of the good shepherd, Call out to the good shepherd. Ask him to forgive you, to save you, to do that work. There's no words I can give you. 
but simply to call out to him. Some of you are hearing the voice of the good shepherd, maybe for the first time this morning, as you've heard that Jesus Christ has died on the cross and shed his blood so that forgiveness is made possible for those who have faith in him that they would be saved and that he died and he rose again from death to life. The Apostle Paul said to the church of Corinth in chapter 15, he says, this is what you stand on. This is the most important thing I've taught you and you you have been saved by the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you've come to this place today and you did not hear the voice of the shepherd and you're hearing the voice of the shepherd and the great shepherd is pointing you to the cross and the empty tomb, call out, And he is the one who saves. Confess him as Lord and Savior. If not, whether it's someone here or people in this world, those who do not know the voice of the shepherd are not in his flock. Jesus actually says that they are not sheep, but they are goats. Look at chapter 25 of Matthew, verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. Before Him will be gathered all the nations, and He will separate people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep on His right, but the goats on the left. Then the King will say to those on His right, Come, you who are blessed by My Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry, and feed you, or thirsty, and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger, and welcome you, or naked, and clothe you? And when did we see you sick, or in prison, and visit you? The king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Verse 41. Then he will say to those on the left, Depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, you did not visit me. Then they, will also, they also will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. There are people who are not in the flock that you will see today, tomorrow, this week. You'll interact with them, you'll talk with them, you'll work alongside of them, you'll go to school with them. They need to hear the truth of the Good Shepherd. And what God has called believers to do, Jesus has given His sheep 
a command, a great commission, and has said, you go and make disciples. You go and share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And God will do the saving. And you will guide them and disciple them and teach them the things that you've learned from the Word of God. But church, there is a day coming when Jesus will separate the sheep from the goats. Those who follow His voice and those who do not. And many will find their place for eternity in hell. And the wrath of God will be upon them forever. We should pray for one another this morning that the Holy Spirit would empower us, put an angst inside of us, that we would be declaring the gospel and begging and pleading for friends, for family, for co-workers, for neighbors, for strangers to come to faith in Christ. And I will say this as we close. For those of you who hear the voice of the Good Shepherd, we take joy in eternal life in Christ. And you need to continue reading John chapter 10. Wonderful, wonderful text in which Jesus says, He and the Father will never lose their sheep. Isn't that comforting? You have a good shepherd who's laid down his life for you. He's taken up his life for you so that you would be set free from slavery of sin, that you would conquer death through Jesus Christ. And he says, there's nothing that will ever take you from him. That's joyous, church. Verse 29 says, my father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. So know this, sheep, the security of your salvation does not rest in your ability to seek out Jesus for salvation. He's done all the work. It is finished, he said. Your security of salvation as a sheep following Christ does not rest in your ability to do any good work to get you in. The security of your salvation in Jesus Christ does not rest in you being very religious and making it to church and going on missions and giving this and that and doing these things. Your security of salvation rests in the hands of the good shepherd and he will not lose you. Amen? As the worship team comes forward, would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we take great joy and assurance that you will never lose us. And we call out to you this morning, we your sheep, walking in a world of darkness, and we need your guiding. Jesus, you are our good shepherd, the great shepherd. We hear your voice. We are following you. Continue to lead us and guide us and take us to the green pastures of your truths. Would you continue to take us through and walk with us and protect us 
as we go through the valley of shadow of death? Would you give us comfort that we would fear no evil? Would you continue to direct the under-shepherds of your church to hear your voice and to be obedient and faithful? Holy Spirit, we pray you'd continue to do the work you do, to stir the hearts of the sheep with great affection and love for Jesus, and to call those who are not in the flock to faith in Christ. May you be glorified in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.